But this is how we become real men. We embrace the little sacrifices, the little sufferings with patience. And then when the bigger ones come, because that's what God does, he allows the bigger ones because he wants to test us and perfect us. And the only way to be tested is to undergo a severe trial. And that demands patience, which demands you to mitigate and restrain anger. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us on another episode of The Catholic Gentleman. We are blessed that you are here. I am grateful to be joined by my hosts, Sam Guzman, a mental health counselor extraordinaire, and Devin Shad, who's the executive director of Fathers of St. Joseph, uh, to uh, discuss anger. So, Sam, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. Yeah, it's a good day in this Advent season. Devin, how about yourself? I'm just really angry right now. Well, we're going to help you with that. So that's the plan today. That. Thank goodness. So, I do need take help. Take a time out, Devin. Take a time out. Take a time out. One, right. two. Go to the corner. Hail Mary, full of grace. <laughs> Too fun. So yeah, well, coming up on this episode, we are. We're going to talk about everything about anger as an emotion. Anger as, um, as uh, part of the will that we uh, need to learn to control. And often affects us men, you know, especially today where we're not aware of it. In addition to that, we're also going to be uh, talking to one of our listeners who has a question about how to dialogue with his Protestant friends, how to make it not forced, but actually something that they want to enter into. And I'll just finish by saying if you enjoy our conversations and you want to support the Catholic gentleman as well as hear a lot more of this episode and all of our other episodes, head over to CatholicGentlemanPlus.com where every single week we're coming out with an extended edition to this episode. In addition on Catholic Gentleman Plus, we come out with monthly themes. Uh, Devin and I had a great uh, live Q&A last week on fatherhood. Uh, this month we're talking about humility and we're actually coming out with a free ebook that you can grab that is uh, the life of, um, sorry, Christmas Through the Eyes of um, Joseph and Mary by Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich. Last month, we had True Devotion to Mary. You can get all those books. They're just kind of all in there. They're at Catholic Gentleman Plus. So head over there. Hope to see you then. So when you think about anger, what does it uh, rise within you? You know, is uh, first, maybe it's just a bunch of injustices that you've experienced. Maybe it's, you know, getting passed up for some promotion at work. Maybe it is um, other people making fun of you or teasing you, depending on your age. Maybe it's people gossiping or just straight lying about you. Um, when I think of my life as a father, I think of uh, misunderstandings between myself and my wife. I think of my kids that are disobeying me you know, more than I care to admit and what it does to me emotionally. Um, but perhaps you think about yourself too and how you can't get over um, a habitual sin that you have been returning to for the thousandth time and you get angry and you start uh, falling into despair within that. So I want to go into all of these today. I want to dialogue about um, anger. I'm really um, grateful for my co-host here, Sam, who's got a mental health counseling um, uh, practice and uh, degree and deals with this uh in modern terms with what we're dealing with, but from a Catholic lens and Devin, who's just got so much wisdom on this matter um, as well as others. And so Sam, I'd like to start with you and just, uh, you know, the mental health counselor in the room, you know, you deal with anger personally as well as professionally. And I'd love to hear what you uh, diagnose in our society today. 
Yeah. Oh, oh my goodness. This is, this is a huge topic affects tons of men and women. Um, but, but men, especially like in our society today, um, anger is one of the only ex- emotions that's acceptable for men to express. You know, if you want to burst into tears, not, not acceptable, you know, like, and if you want to express compassion, not acceptable, but anger. Okay. Like men, men can get away with anger. And so a lot of people you, you see in our society is like a lot of that, a lot of the other emotions that men may be experiencing get, you know, compressed and channeled in the direction of anger. Um, and that it can be hugely problematic and, there's a dozen different directions I could go with this, but I would just say like um, really understand that anger, uh, unless it's the purest and like most righteous form of anger. And yes, there is a righteous form of anger almost always has something beneath behind it or beneath it or what, there's, there's something else going on. And we can talk more about that later on. But the point being that that anger is never, uh, or at least I shouldn't speak in absolute terms, but it's very rarely an isolated emotion. There's other things uh, attached to that. Uh, and what do I mean by that? Like things like helplessness, loneliness, shame, uh, a cry for justice. It can be a lot of different things hiding behind that anger, but anger is just that surface manifestation. Um, and so I would say if you're struggling with anger, the first thing I would recommend um is just get curious about that what else is going on uh because anger is a complicated emotion and it's tied to other things so get curious about that really start noticing your patterns notice what triggers you notice what brings that anger to the surface as john was saying it can be a lot of different things um and and instead of just going to battle against it instead of just fighting it and trying to suppress it which often gives it more power Mm-hmm. get curious about it. Just kind of shift your internal stance towards the anger instead of trying to like, just, just exile it, just try to understand it. Mm-hmm. And you'll find that it's often um, very fruitful. Um, but yeah, there's, there's tons more I could say, but that's, that's what I would <laughs> kind of admonish you all to start with. Oh, I think that's great. Devin. Yeah. I think that, you know, who said a good philosopher makes, distinctions, right? And I think there's a tendency for us just to believe scrupulously that maybe even ignorantly, you know, that just not in a bad way, just not knowledgeable enough to know that all anger, we think that all anger is bad, but that's not true. Um, you know, anger, what most people, Peter Kreef says this in Back to Virtue. He says what most people mean by anger is usually not a sin. He says mm-hmm. anger as merely an emotional response to an intermittent environmentally stimulated influence is not a sin. So emotion alone is never sinful. We're not directly responsible for that. Even if it's born out of what, Sam, you're talking about like that, those wounds or that past, that strict emotional response is not sinful. When the will is added to it, when we command the anger to rise – right? That's, and it's disordered. That's when we're responsible for the reaction. That's when it becomes sinful. So I think it'd be good. Maybe we could talk about this. Like when is anger a sin and when is it not a sin? I don't know if that's all right with you guys, but I think that that might be good for, you know, the people who are listening or watching that, Hey, I, I need to know when I'm gone too far. 
Yeah, no, I really appreciate you bringing that up. And I think defining terms, right? Uh, these distinctions, and it is really good. And well, yeah, what you were saying, right? That anger as an emotion is not a sin. I think that can be liberating for a, a lot of men is that you don't have control over a lot of these situations and that stimulus of anger. It becomes, uh, as it arises within you, then as it becomes something that we act on, right? That the that the choice of the will uh, gets involved. That's when... That's when you got it. It gets really um, difficult. But I also think of you know when you're bringing that up, this idea of just anger and unjust anger. And I know Sam, you and I have had this conversation frequently because it does come around in circles um, where there are individuals that are prone to declare just anger anytime they show an emotion <laughs> of anger. And and I want to be cautious of that. I want to hear, because I did, I actually pulled, uh, yeah, quote, uh, uh, St. John Chrysostom. I'm not quite sure where I found this, but um, he is angry without cause shall be in danger, but he that is angry with cause shall not. Uh, he who is not angry when he has cause to be sins. For unreasonable patience is the hotbed of many vices. And and, you know, and that that idea that um, an injustice, I think we've talked about this on another episode, an injustice that we experience, the correct, Thomas Aquinas says, the correct emotion for an injustice is anger. And so that that is a correct emotional response. Now, what you do with it, that's where it gets really dangerous. And if you've never thought about that until this moment listening to this episode, and don't get me wrong, I mean, it was decades into my life before I ever really started reflecting on this, you're going to act out on that anger. And when you read Thomas Aquinas further, he talks about in due proportion to the offense, like, I, I will be honest, I can't do that. I'm not capable of, of balancing the appropriate anger. I will think uh, for my final uh, moment here, when I was dealing and still do deal with anger with my children and uh, and their disobedience, I had a priest once, this was four or five years ago, who asked me, how old are your kids? And at the time they were seven, four, three, and not yet one. And he looked at me and he goes, so so that we're clear, he's like, you're getting angry at them not because of an injustice towards God, but because they annoy you. And I was like, oh, <laughs> and it really, it really hit me, but it was very true. It was one of the first um, times I really started reflecting on anger, you know, rightly placed. We could add to that maybe just a little bit by saying that <clears throat> the real root cause usually of any kind of anger finds itself at the foundation of fear, you know? So when we're afraid of something, usually St. Thomas Aquinas will tell us that that fear is rooted in some kind of loss, okay? Mm -hmm. There's a potential loss at stake, and then we feel a lack of control. So then that lack of control then gives birth to a fear, F-E-A-R, which is feelings and emotions attacking reason. And so when the fear overrides reason or takes over that reason because we're feeling loss of control, that's when we're right on the verge of sinning. We're losing the harmony of our soul and we're going to actually either we're going to confront the disharmony in our world or we're going to bring more disharmony to it. And <clears throat> I think Peter Crave talks about how there's four levels of anger, just dovetailing right in with what you said, Sam, is that first there's the emotional response. There's no will involved, no sin. Then there's the emotionally rightly regulated will that consents for justice, 
So say someone is robbing a lady, you know, taking her purse, your anger is flared and you stop him, you tackle him and you, you so that is emotion rightly regulated. You're angry for justice. There's no sin. But when the third level is when emotion oversteps the bound of reason. Okay. And there's two ways. I think St. Thomas Aquinas says that this happens. First is when we will that a person who doesn't deserve punishment gets punished or when a person who is deserving of punishment is punished more. So the first way is example, have you ever been like so ticked off about what's happening in your life? You just want someone else to feel it like your wife, right? Or, you know, your kids, you just, you're just harboring all this pain. Think of George Bailey, right? This season, you know, George Bailey, his uncle wasn't his uncle loses all the money from the the savings and loan and Potter has stolen it. And George Bailey is freaking out. And what's he do? He's going home and he's pulling out his hair and his kids playing the piano. He's like, shut that stupid song down. And boom, he's kicking stuff all over the place. And he wants people to feel his pain. That's, that's the first one. That's a great example of when we want somebody to be punished who doesn't deserve punishment because we're angry. Okay. Then, then a second way is where, we, someone who's deserving of punishment, we want them punished, but we go way beyond. You think Jack Bauer in 24, I don't know if you guys watch this. Yeah, but like, 24. You know, so Jack seasons. captures the, the criminal and you're like, okay, we got it done. No, he throws the criminal out the window. Okay, great. So he moved beyond <laughs> the pun- the due punishment, right? We're going to yeah. take that guy out. So those are wild examples, but that's how we can move beyond. Then there's the fourth level. Okay. And that's when anger turns into hatred. And this is where we get the idea of wrath or the capital sin, capital in the Latin caput, which literally means head. To So the head is driving towards something. The head of wrath or anger is heading toward what? Hatred. And that's where the devil wants us to go. And when we enter into hatred, which is basically vengeance, rigid coolness, or unresolved, settled hatred, we're there. The devil has got us at that final level. And so those are kind of, I think those are the four levels, according to Peter Kraft and St. Thomas Aquinas. And um, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, me too. Sam, you looked very uh, excited. Did you want to say something? (laughs) No, I just, a lot of the things that Devin was saying came to mind, like one of the this this happens in marriage a lot, like you were saying, Devin. Like this is this is one of the things that destroys marriage, and it almost um, very much aligns with what Aquinas is saying about the becoming capital sin, like wanting to hurt someone. And like the the one of the chief uh, marriage and family therapists in the United States, uh, John Gottman, kind of outlined four uh, horsemen of the apocalypse. He calls it, but like four warning signs. Your anger is starting to destroy your marriage, and mm-hmm. he, he calls them. Uh, well, it's criticism. That's one. That's like trying to hurt the other person by pointing out their flaws. Defensiveness, deflecting all responsibility onto that other person. Contempt, which is which is what you're kind of talking about, like just that coldness that I like. I won't even give you the time of day. Like you're you're worth nothing in my eyes. Yeah. You know. Uh, and, and stonewalling, which is just shutting people out. You don't talk to them. You don't engage with them. You don't look them in the eye when they walk in the door. You know, you just stonewall them. And, or if they bring up anything like, you know, honey, I really need to talk to you about some of the things you've been doing lately, some of the decisions you made. 
don't talk to me. I'm like, just stonewall, like the walls go shields up. You know, it's just interesting to see that alignment between, you know, a celibate philosopher 800 years ago and like <laughs> some of these behaviors that destroy marriages, even yes, Catholic marriages, it happens all the time, you know, where yeah. it's like, we start hmm. like letting our anger erode. It's like this acid that just eats away hmm. at our intimacy and our mutual love for one another. And it can be so toxic. Yeah. Well, and before we go down the road of, of kind of past awareness and into trying to control this, Sam, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, just kind of like a, a practice study, because you were talking about these patterns in our lives that um, are, it's a sign, right, of something that is um, is reflective of something that's a deeper wound or something along those lines. So, for instance, a father to his children, um, that they do something to really aggravate them. Let's say they're beyond the age of reason. It's direct disobedience. And the father just uh, raises his voice, doesn't get his way, and then punishes. Um, he desires to control that situation. He desires, like George Bailey, to to kind of make them experience his pain and his frustration. And he doesn't feel like justice was served unless that was done. How would you respond to a father in that situation, knowing that at the end of of the day when that's happened you know now speaking from personal experience here you know you don't feel better it's not like this has somehow <laughs> built a deeper relationship and that that you're you know me i i find myself crumbling and then apologizing to my children and and really you know trying to reconnect and reunite something that i have broke well they broke by their disobedience and then i rose to the occasion and broke further and so but i'd love for you to dialogue about that and identifying maybe what are what are those wounds that cause that emotion I do not want to ignore the fact that a lifetime of trained and lived and habits in this pattern, right, makes that that uh, what could have been this far of your tolerance level down to this does build up and does happen. And we now know that with science. And I find that incredibly liberating to have that knowledge. Um, and that's why men, if you're, you know, we hear this all the time with guys that are trying Exodus 90 or if just even fasting for the first time, is that it's so incredibly hard with Father David Abernathy having him on the show. He, wise spiritual director, said that, you know, people have never done this for 10 years, like their body so violently rejects it. And so I want you to be aware of that, um, you know, as we're working on these, but you're still called to work on these things. So Sam, I'd love to hear your thoughts to that kind of hypothetical slash lived, you know, case. Yeah, well, that's uh, it, a, a great point. I mean, there's always, there's always something more going on, right? So, so I would say not in the moment, it's almost impossible to do it in the moment. But in the aftermath, like let's say you like blew it and you yelled at your kids, you yelled at your wife, whatever, and you're really regretting that and you uh, want to repent of that. What I would say is just know that even the best relationships, there's going to be ruptures in that relationship. Um, you know, I someone made this number up. I don't know. But they said that like even the healthiest relationships are like one third rupture, one third repair and one third connection. And like, just, just know, like, don't be too hard on yourself. Like if it's a pattern, okay. Like you need to do some deeper work. But what I would say is just know that like ruptures do happen in relationships, but I think it's important that we always move towards repair, that we always move towards reconciliation, repentance, if it needs to happen. And yes, I've apologized to my kids. 
you know, and I've, I've, you know, maybe explained to them like why I blew up or whatever, like not as an excuse, but just for context and like made it right with them. And I think it's important that we do that in the relationships in our life that we don't let anger fester or that we don't send the message that it's all your fault. You know, like never apologizing sends that message that whatever happened, it's on you. You know, I never have anything to apologize for. Yeah. And that's not the message we want to send to our kids. But but going beyond that to, I guess, your, your, your specific question of like, what would you say to a dad who's like consistently blowing up at his kids? I would say, yeah, dig deeper. What's driving that? Um, yeah, anger can often be driven by yeah, a quest for justice. Like maybe you really have been hurt in life. Um, but I think a lot of times it's what Devin mentioned, um, or I guess Aquinas before him, but that sense of losing control. Um, and if you turn the lens back on yourself and examine your anger, a lot of anger with our children is a feeling of helplessness and loss of control. Ah, mm -hmm. he's not doing what I want. I gave him clear instructions, you know, like he owes me obedience, like, but he's just saying no to my face. Oh my word. Yeah. That's like hugely <laughs> triggering for any parent, right? Like yeah. that. No, I'm not going to do it, you know? Yeah. And and like that feeling of loss of control, like Devin said, is huge. Like helplessness is a big, big trigger for, for anger. Um, and we want to feel in control because then life feels safe and predictable and we feel like we can manage. Uh, but the minute that we feel threatened, especially men like want to be in control, we want to control our environment. We want to like control our relationships and like part of growing in love is learning to let go and learning mm. to... Uh, surrender and learning to, I think even more importantly, see what's going on in other people's internal worlds. You know, me and my oldest son is kind of a fiery one and we've, we've butted heads a bit, you know, because he's, you know, it's time to do his homework. He'll like say no, or, you know, like run away or whatever. And like, cause he doesn't want to do it. Um, and like the initial uh, rising of anger can be like, no, you're going to do it now. Like get back here, you know, you know, just go into the dad mode. Right. Like, um, but in my better moments, like I've gotten curious about what's going on with him and like come to find out sometimes like someone was making fun of him at school or, you know, maybe he got a bad grade and that made him scared to do his homework again because he doesn't want to do his homework, you know, and, and fail. And it really comes down to a fear of failure. It's not that he is, um, just wanting to be obedient or defiant, yeah. like he's scared too, you know? And, and so if you can step outside of that, like reactionary dad mode, you know, where you're just like, you're going to do what I want, whether you like it or not. And start to get curious about what's going on beneath the surface with your kids, what's driving their disobedience. Oftentimes it can be their own fear, their own insecurity, their own self-doubt um, that causes them to react the way that they do. So turn the lens back on yourself, see what's going on. Helplessness is huge. The other one I would think, I think is important is shame is another one. I'm not good enough. I don't have what it takes. You know, these, these beliefs that we have. And when I say belief, it's not cognitive, it's a feeling level. And when people bring that feeling of shame and inadequacy to the surface, oh man, you get mad. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just uh, one really fruitful question you can do. Uh, if you identify something like, okay, yeah, I'm feeling helpless in this situation. And that's why I got angry start going, getting curious about the past. Right. So, yes. um, and then one question you can just ask yourself is, and you have to be open. You can't logic it. Yep. You can't reason it. Okay. But just say, 
anger, how old are you? And go with the first number that jumps into your head. And it's almost 100% of the time, very young, you know, six mm. or seven, eight, nine, you know, and then you're like, okay, what was going on? Like, let's say the number nine jumps into your head. Start thinking about what's going on in your life. Oh, shoot. My parents were getting divorced. The kid was bullying me at school. Like I got kicked off the varsity team. Like, and all of a sudden, all of these childhood experiences of helplessness, fear, inadequacy start coming to the surface. And you're like, oh my goodness, there's so much more here yeah. than I than me just flying off the handle. And then of course, you, you know, there's there's work you can do around healing some of those wounds, but but just being open and curious and just saying, how old are you, anger? Like you'll be shocked at what comes to the surface. Thank you, Sam. I'm really grateful for you jumping in here and talking about that because I do think it's really important that we don't just uh, uh, theologize, you know, and and philosophize, you know, and and talk about all these things because it is right. It's 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 good to understand and place these in their right place. But then we men are always active, right? We're always looking for those solutions. We're always looking for those insights. And so to hear them from you, um, I hope our listeners uh, take that to heart and rewind and listen to some of those. So thank you, Sam. Yeah, Sam, you said rupture, uh, recon- not reconciliation, but what were the two other ones? Rupture, repair, repair, and what was the other one? And and, and I guess just connection or connection. Um, yeah. reconciliation. Got it. Got it. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah love l- it. And then because we are the Catholic gentlemen and we put the gentle back into man as your first uh, blog article was, Sam, I do think meekness is something that is incredibly important for us to talk about uh, because it is in meekness rightly understood that we can experience the fruits of the spirit as it says in Galatians 5, right? The fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It doesn't say, you know, justice. It doesn't say anger. It doesn't say, you know, it says this fruit of the spirits are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And these are the signs and marks of a true gentleman. And so um, I'd love to talk and allow you, Devin, to speak just a little bit about uh, the power of meekness and meekness rightly understood because Christ did come and say, follow me for I am meek and humble of heart. And at the same time, he came and said, the peace I give, you know, not as the world gives peace, but the peace I bring. And so we need to have that. We need to mesh those two. So Devin, love your thoughts. Well, yeah, I mean, I think our culture believes that meekness is weakness. So they see the meek person as that frail guy who's never going to speak up in a in a crowd. He's never going to defend the just or the good or the right. No, that's not the meek man. The meek man, he's going to stand up. He is going to defend what is right, but he's able to restrain or repress his anger in doing that. He's able to remain self-possessed, self-control, and that's a fruit of meekness. So an analogy would be like, you know, you're driving your car and you're taking that turn, that, that hairpin turn off the freeway. You have the gas, which is your anger. You got to keep that car moving toward the just end, the good, to achieve justice. However, you've got to let off that gas a little bit and hit the brake, which is meekness, in order to make that curve or you're going to fly right off the highway, right? And so this is to tame justice is to just shut the car down, pull over. You don't make the turn. You don't keep going. You're done. Anger is, is you're taking the turn and woo, you're flying off that ramp. But, But anger restrained and repressed or mitigated by meekness allows you to make the turn. It allows you to hit the end goal. Or it's like, 
imagine a stovetop, you know, and you're boiling pasta. Your anger is the boiling water. Okay. You're angry. You're boiling. However, it's contained. It's restrained. If it flows over, you don't cook the pasta. You burn everything. You screw up your stovetop. You dial it down a little bit with meekness. Meekness is the dial on the stovetop that allows you to control that and cook that pasta just right. And this comes in really well, both in marriage and in parenting, is that we can't avoid the justice. This is this is what parents want to do. Well, I don't want to get angry, so I avoid the justice. No, there is mm-hmm. a proper form and level of anger that's necessary so your children know that's serious. But you don't go too far where you're like blasting at them. You keep yelling at them and you're out of control. And they're like, I can't take this guy seriously. Right. So meekness tempers that anger where a recipient of it, like a child or a wife or your friend, they're like, wow. This is serious. This is important, but yet he's controlled in this. So maybe we can talk about that, you know? So I think meekness is absolutely necessary to the equation on anger. You know, if you don't have meekness, a lot of people say meekness is power under control. Mm. Okay. And I like that because anger is this power to win the good, to do what is right to the soldier who's fighting to break free the captives. And Peter Kreeft in Back to Virtue, he says that when you harm someone because of your anger, you've gone too far. However, if someone is breaking in my house and they want to take my kids or they want to rape my wife, that anger is enkindled. Mm -hmm. And I've got to fight for what is right. And if I have to take that guy out and harm him for the sake of the good, that is just and right. That's what we call just war. And that's where anger does its job properly speaking. However, meekness says, okay, I can shoot him in the kneecap and deter him rather than blowing his head off. You know, what <laughs> I mean? So there's levels to this. So meekness kind of tempers that. Okay. Does that, does that, it does. Yeah. It's real strength. Yeah, no, I very much appreciate that. And I do think I love, I love the examples and it's right. Right. I mean, what's that saying? Um, you just reminded me of it that, uh, Uh, Evil is allowed to exist when good men do nothing right. Um, Like we have to stand in the breach. We have to stand up for what is right and what is good. And again, if there's an injustice, uh, anger can be the right emotion. Balancing that can be really tricky. Now, you know, the extreme examples that you mentioned, I think we all agree with, I think, but that balancing of that and honestly, that practicing of that, just like we can learn to condition ourselves to lose our control and lose our emotions and and overreact in anger very frequently you can condition yourself to be a meek man you can condition condition yourself to be a man of of deep prayer and deep self-control uh and that's what we're all about here you know at the catholic gentleman so sam what are your thoughts yeah well um i think it really goes back to this is this very much relates to what Devin was saying with this idea of patience um, and, and another word for patience in maybe like the King James version or some of these older versions of the Bible is like long suffering, yes. long suffering. <laughs> I think this is so important because so much of our disorders in life come from the desire not to suffer, which in one sense makes, makes sense. Like who wants to suffer but at the same time, like when anger rises up and you try to restrain it, you're going to suffer a bit. Oof, you could be, you're going to be trembling, you know, like you just feel the, ooh, I want to let, her, let them have it. But if you, you sit with that, mm. that discomfort, that agitation, and you don't give into it, 
it eventually cools down. Mm-hmm. Um, now, again, as Devin's saying, there are absolutely times when you need to stand up and you need to defend what's right or defend those who are vulnerable. But but again, so a lot of times, like just think about the internet and all the hateful comments that fly around the internet. And I believe me, I've gotten emails and stuff that are just like so incredibly rude that I just want to yeah. just air this guy apart verbally, you know, and like <laughs> let's send talk him about back that, a smoking Sam. hot email. <laughs> and and but what I sometimes what I do is I'll write out the response that I want to write out, and then I'll just sit with it. I'll just yeah. sit with the anger. I'll just sit with the embarrassment or whatever he triggered in me. Mm-hmm. the feelings of inadequacy or whatever and just just allow yourself to be uncomfortable that's what patience is is saying i have this intense impulse but i'm just going to sit with the discomfort and there's power in that and like devin's saying like steam like you can boil over a pot can boil over and like all this energy is just diffusing everywhere or steam can power a steam engine and pull thousands of tons of freight, you know, if it's channeled properly. So I think what's important is learn to sit with the discomfort, learn to sit. I mean, unless there's like a true injustice that you need to stop right now, sit with the discomfort, you know, and mm-hmm. just learn to be uncomfortable, learn to be patient. And patient is, patience is the precondition of love. It's the foundation of love. Like if you can't yeah. be patient, you can't love yourself and you can't love your neighbor. And this is this goes right back to St. Francis of Sales, right? Be patient with all things, but especially with yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I just, I love that because like we have to forgive ourselves 70 times seven, you know, yeah. like the apostles are like, well, can we forgive seven times and then let them have it? And he's like, Jesus said, no, like 70 times seven, like in other words, infinite, like mm-hmm. extend that to your neighbor, that forgiveness, but also to yourself and be patient. Be patient with yourself and your mistakes and your failings and your stumblings. Um, and and that power will grow. And the last thing I'll say about anger, and I'm going to end here, but like anger has incredible creative power is, you know, like St. Augustine, like, say, like hope has two beautiful daughters, like anger at in, in what's wrong and courage to make things right. And And I think that's like the thing to realize too, is like, if you can stop channeling that anger into petty things, silly things, or like things that are more rooted in your wounds than they are really in the external world, it frees up all this like mental, spiritual energy to be channeled in creative directions. Um, And and so that's the last thing I would say is like, um, not that, that anger in itself is creative. But what I was saying is like the energy is a very energetic emotion. Like if you're angry for a long time, you're just going to be exhausted. Like you're just going to be exhausted all the time. But like, if you can free up that, that spiritual energy, like all of these things are going to start to change in your life. Um, things that maybe you've been putting off for years. Um, you know, maybe you've been meaning to go to the gym and all of a sudden you'll feel this like freshness and vitality to like go tackle that instead of just, hating on somebody for something they did to you 10 years ago, you know? And so to just know that, that that energy can be released and redirected in constructive ways and ways that are not destructive. Yeah. Those who are capable of long suffering have exercised and trained in little suffering. And I think that that's the way that we can get to meekness 
and be able to harness the power of anger toward that courage. So what I mean by that is, yeah, the skipping of the meal or John not drinking your coffee and your booze during Advent. It's these little things that we it trains us to be patient and to endure what we're not getting. And this is the problem with our world. Why is our world so angry? It's because they get everything they want. They just put it on the credit card and they hold off the tsunami of debt with these minimum payments, you know? And, and they're just, we get whatever we want, when we want, however we want, and we're angry when we don't get it, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's why, the, that's where we're at with the world because the world does not want to exercise even the little bit, bit tiniest patience during suffering. But this is how we become real men. We embrace the little sacrifices, the little sufferings with patience and then when the bigger ones come, because that's what God does, he allows the bigger ones because he wants to test us and perfect us. And the only way to be tested is to undergo a severe trial. And that demands patience, which demands you to mitigate and restrain anger. So the little sufferings, embracing them will prepare you. There's something else too. It's very important. We're talking all about St. Francis of Sales and patience with oneself and loving oneself. And this is very important. God hates sin. He is angry with sin. But he also, as we hear all the time, loves the sinner. And both of these things, mm. as Peter Kreef says, scandalize the world. The world is scandalized that God hates sin, tolerance, equality, acceptance, all that stuff, the gospel of niceness. And God says, no, that's a sin that deserves punishment because I demand righteousness. And we need to be on board with that. However, when we sin, and God's demanding righteousness, we always have to remember that he forgives and loves the sinner. And a great example of this is uh, Rudolf Haas. Do you guys remember this, no. this guy? A com commandant in the Nazi army, he heard Hitler speak for the first time about the fatherland, and he was converted on the spot to the cause. He gave up his, he renounced his Catholicism on the spot and his belief in Jesus Christ and wholeheartedly followed Hitler. And he was in charge of the concentration camps, Auschwitz, in charge of disseminating the Jews, basically, incinerating them. And a priest came because they captured, uh, I can't remember how many of his priests from his rectory or whatever. From, And this priest came and confronted Haas and said, give me back my priests. And Haas laughed at him, but he admired the courage of the priest enough not to kill him and let him go. This priest was at the Shrine of Divine Mercy in Poland. Now, Rudolf Haas, at, at, at the end of it, was captured, detained by the Poles, and then he was tried, right? But before his trial, he had a conversion, an unbelievable conversion. And guess who he asked for? He asked for that priest because he loved his courage, because that man exercised power under control. That man was able to mitigate his anger. And when that priest showed up, Haas confessed, all of his sins. And even the, the prison guards said that he looked like an innocent little baby when he prayed. Mm. He was so pure before his execution. We will be scandalized by who God forgives and will be scandalized by who God condemns because they didn't forgive themselves. Yeah, We must forgive ourselves. This is such a huge part a huge place. This is an Oprah theology and all this stuff. You know, this is real. You cannot give what you don't have. You have to forgive yourself because you know in your heart, if God can forgive Rudolf Hoffs, he can forgive you. If he can forgive yeah. Mary Magdalene, who destroyed many marriages, 
he can forgive you. Yeah. That's the power of meekness coupled with anger. Amen. No, I think that's really great. I do, um, in appreciation, I want to comment to men to reflect on these things as Sam was saying and as Devin was saying, as I've been saying, in your own personal life, because it is possible that if anger uh, towards others that turns into hatred, as we were mentioning earlier, is something that you experience on a regular basis, you might just need to avoid anger at all costs, right? It might be something that at this point in your life, and and Augustine talks about this, Francis de Sales talks about this, that... um, that you know, if you are basically frail and and weak in your ability to exert and express self control in these situations, that Satan's going to take advantage of that. And so, don't give any inch because the moment you let it in, you can't control it, and it will overtake you and will drive you down this same pathway. Right. Mm-hmm. So. It is it is just a, a moment of caution, but it takes that own personal self-reflection to kind of figure out where you're at because there is so many different um, layers and different avenues that we can look at this emotion that's anger and then this emotion coupled with the will and action of anger, um, both just and unjust, um, you know, but uh, very frequently, as is my case um, with most men that I meet to today here in America, uh, anger is just kind of out of control. And, you know, um, these these ideas of <clears throat> reaching the heights uh, need to start with uh, correcting your own deficiencies through God's grace, with God's grace. And I guess so that's the last thing I'll say is that this all just relies on Christ. This is all just points to Christ and that it's only in Christ that we will be able to not only experience that forgiveness and forgive ourselves, but also to have the straight path forward, right? To also understand what he means by follow me for I'm meek and humble of heart. It didn't say, follow me for I am, you know, strong and uh, a butch and, you know, can, angry. can do all, angry all the time. Yeah, exactly. Right. He has that total control and it's something that we need to push towards. So I'd love to keep on talking about this, but I do want to get to the question today. So now is a great time in the episode where we get to answer a question from one of our listeners. So if you have a question, I always like to do this pitch here. Send it to podcast at catholicgentleman.com, record it and send it to us. Even better, right? Send an audio recording to us. Um, if not, just send us an email with that quote and we will have it read here. Uh, sorry, with that question and we'll have it read here on the episode. So um, today's uh, is a interesting question that we've all experienced, those of us who are in love with our faith and see Catholicism as the one true faith. And that's how to talk to, how to talk to Protestants about it, even your friends. So let's listen to this. Hey guys, I want to share my faith and teach my faith to my Protestant friends, but I don't know how to do it without it being a forced conversation. Is there a way to lead them into the conversation where they would actually want to do it? I appreciate what you men are doing and look forward to your answers. God bless. Yeah, great. So how do we bring our Protestant friends, our Protestant, maybe even atheists or agnostics? I think this is a really good thing too, uh, to dialogue about of, of how do we bring our friends to be open to a conversation about the faith and one that's not, you know, fully defensive or combative 
but at the same time is one that can bring about fruit. Not that combative conversations are always bad. I'm not saying that peace at all cost is the primary purpose of our existence in relation with others. So um, Sam, I'd like to start with you and get your thoughts on um, when you were a Protestant and Catholics were trying to talk to you, no, but what are your thoughts on on, uh, this question? Yeah, uh, I love this question. Um, yeah, I, I, I would say a few things. Yeah, I think that um, one of the problems that converts especially can fall into uh, in our convert zeal, uh, speaking from experience, is that we want to point out where everyone's wrong. Like we're so excited that we just want to say, like we just focus on everything that's wrong with whatever tradition we came from, whether you know, Baptist or Lutheran or, you know, whatever, wherever we came from and maybe nothing, but, but like just focusing on the deficiencies and inadequacies of that, because we're so excited about what we've discovered in Catholicism. And one of the things that you know, we've talked a lot about uh, World War II this episode, but, but uh, one of the things that Maximilian Kolbe said during World War II, when the Nazis were ravaging Europe was, you know, he sent out a message to all of his newspaper editors because he had this newspaper that was very, very huge circulation. And he said, we must put good in relief. We must make good stand out um, and only draw attention to evil as much as is necessary to remedy it. Um, and, but we lead with the good, essentially. That's what he was saying. And I think this is so important is don't be consumed with what's wrong with your Protestant friends or your atheist friends or whatever. Lead with what's good about Catholicism. What have you discovered? How have you grown in your relationship with Christ? Like, how have you, uh, and I love uh, Father Dwight Longnecker's book uh, titled, instead of mere Christianity, he wrote a book called More Christianity. And I think I think that those of us who've discovered the Catholic faith um, feel that, that it's, it's, not so much that, you know, like all the, we rejected everything that came before. No, we just discovered something so rich and beautiful that we should be excited about that. We should be enthusiastic about that. Like enthusiasm is infectious. So I would just counsel you to like, instead of picking fights or debates about, you know, sola scriptura or justification or all of these different things or the end times or whatever, focus on the beauty of the Catholic faith, focus on the treasures that you've discovered Share, you know, don't be embarrassed. Just talk winsomely about, you know, well, hey, we have this feast day coming up. You know, like this is what we do at Christmas time. That's, you know, we go to midnight mass or like, you know, I pray this novena to a saint. You know, like just be unapologetic about your faith. Don't hide it under a bushel. And people are going to be curious. Like, what is this guy so excited about? You know, and maybe they don't jump on board immediately, but it plants those seeds of like, People are searching. People are searching all over the place. And if you have something and you find that it's deeply satisfying, they're going to be curious about that and win them over. So, so that's my final admonition is just put good in relief. Let the good stand out. What you love about the Catholic faith, how it's drawing you closer to Christ, you know, the joy of being a part of this uh, community of faith. And like, um, like that is going to be infectious. So yeah, no, I I completely agree, and I appreciate you mentioning that, Sam, because 
that was exactly what I wanted to dialogue about is that, you know, where are you coming at um, this from? And I think that's first and foremost. And uh, when I was into apologetics, I would read book after book after book of apologetics, and I wanted to get into an argument with my friends. <laughs> like, but it was done for the reasons of, you know, yeah, I want to, I want to win this. This banner of Catholicism is going to convert the world, and it is based off of truth and truth alone. And there's not so much about um, beauty or goodness or even uh, even any sort of attention given to those. And that was me. And I really did. Um, you know, at the same time, my faith life was one of obligation. It was one of of a checklist of of items that I needed to do. It wasn't about a relationship with Christ. and It wasn't about growing in that. And it was a wise um, spiritual director, may he rest in peace, a Franciscan uh, died when he was 86 of brain cancer, a really incredible man, who when he was meeting with me and giving me spiritual direction once, he said, you have to remember that you're not going to convert anybody, that it's only the Holy Spirit that puts that conversion in the heart of man. And if you yourself aren't attuned to the gifts and the movements and promptings of the Holy Spirit in your life, you're not going to be that instrument of grace for these people. And it was, he. I will say he taught me how to love. He taught me the importance of, of goodness and the importance of beauty um, and its relationship with other people and with these dialogues. And so I really want to affirm what Sam's saying is that the people that are bringing in the most amount of conversions are the ones that are passionately in love with their faith. And that's infectious. You can't help but uh, experience that because you want other people to experience that because you are giving your all to this faith that is transforming your life and you want them to have that same experience. And so it doesn't have to be a forced conversation. It very well could be something along the lines of, oh, we're going to, it's the Feast of the Immaculate Conception on December 8th. Uh, You know, we're we're gonna go to the 6 a.m. mass. We're going to early mass because I still have to work that day, unfortunately, or something along those lines. Like the church in her feast days, the church in her liturgical year, the church in her practices gives so many opportunities as long as you are passionately in love with those and and, and practicing those. And then those opportunities present themselves. I can think of one final thing is that um, when um, I was uh, at Yale doing my master's degree, there was a lot of atheists there and they didn't want to talk about the faith at all. So be aware of where the person is that you are dialoguing about with, right? Because a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. And so if people are incredibly adverse to to talking about truth or to talking about faith, you're not going to just all of a sudden find that that door. However, by loving them rightly, by praying for them consistently, by showing them by your example, those opportunities start uh, presenting themselves. And then those requests can happen by the gifts and the the movement of the Holy Spirit. And it's not on your time. It's going to be on God's time as long as you are dedicated to those things. Um, you know, sticking uh, sticking consistently with prayers, with novenas with um, um, with your example towards others. So anyways, that's where my mind goes when I'm talking about opening this door. It has worked. It has worked many a times. There's been many of individuals that have um, uh, experienced uh, the Holy Spirit has used me to help uh, bring closer into the faith or into the Holy Catholic Church. And, and I just can't wait for the next one, right? So Devin, love to get your thoughts on all this. I mean, well, you know, what works for me is, you know, Bob, there is no salvation outside the Catholic Church. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> as frequently as you can remind him of Yeah, that. I just keep repeating it, you know? And uh, no, I, I think that uh, you guys have covered it. Uh, I think that 
one thing though that does open up doors in reality, like in a in a very practical way, is if you notice that these guys are Christian at some level, you just ask them, "Hey, what can I pray for you for?" Or mm -hmm. if you notice that they're struggling with something, "Hey, I'll pray for you for that," and really mean it. I wish, you know, one guy said, "I wish I had a dollar for every time somebody said I'm praying for you," and don't, you know, but but mm -hmm. really mean it and ask, and then follow. And this is a key. Then follow up like a week later, say, "Hey." how's that going? And they're like, whoa, he remembered. He's thinking of me. He's intentional about this. And I would say, so besides asking them, hey, what can I pray for? Or, you know, and then remembering that and praying for them. I think it's also important to ask them questions. You know, I think we do a lot of telling, you know, we tell people what the truth is. We tell them why we're right. But I found that the most effective evangelists are like what you say, John, they love and they're passionate about what they love, but also they ask a lot of questions like, so, hey, where do you go to church? You know, well, tell me about that. What's that like? What was your experience? You know, how did you end up falling in love with Jesus? You know, those type of questions because the person and then maybe the person might ask you a question and then that gives you an opportunity also to share, but not with this. Okay. This is where I'm going to go with John six. Okay. I've, you know right. what I mean? Like, right. Unless you eat the flesh of the son of man, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, okay. So you know, although that's a great one to begin with yeah. at some point, but then I think like, like, let's say, Hey, if you are really into your faith and you're willing to die for your faith, you really love the Lord, let it shine. You know, maybe have some decor in your office or your cubicle, you know, make sure people in a sense have enough evidence to crucify you if there is a persecution. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember when I, 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 I was working at a $6 an hour graphic design job and I got hired by this big ad agency and the creative director told everybody there he's, he's totally, he's a freaky religious guy. Okay. And so when I got there, people would kind of, so, uh, what religion are you? And I'd be like, <laughs> I'd be like, well, I'm Catholic. They're like, oh, whew, good. We thought you were like a Protestant or a Baptist. You're Catholic. We can drink with you. We can party with you. You don't care. You don't love Jesus. Great. And then I started putting up the, 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 the Jesus pictures, you know, the Mary picture of the Bible was there and they're like, oh man, he's really into it. You know, and they saw that I went to mass every day at noon, you know, and, and it was just unavoidable. And eventually the conversations around the creative table began and it was, it was just impossible to avoid it. And then it became a part of our culture to debate, to talk. And, you know, and one of the guys there literally converted to the Catholic faith, and then he became a priest. And so, you know, it's just sometimes just let the light shine, just let it out, be willing yeah. to die for it. And people will think you're weird, but they'll also be attracted. Yeah. Well, one saint I want to throw out there is a saint I, I deeply love, and no, it's not St. Maximilian Colby, but uh, it's <laughs> it's, it's uh, St. Charles de Foucault. Yeah. Um, who is a great example of just that radiant witness um in in the midst of completely uh unfriendly circumstances so just look him up i won't say too much more but just look up saint charles de foucault uh f-o-u-c-a-u-l-d it's one of those weird uh french names but look him up uh, i think you'll find his witness in life um truly inspiring yeah amen. yeah i pray his abandonment prayer every morning i love mm. that prayer powerful praise god praise god 
Well, uh, yeah, thank you both. And I mean, so if none of these things that we are saying work, then you can always, you know, set up like a, a party or something like that. And when when you get them inside, you close the door and there's got <laughs> blessed candles lit and there's the Immaculate Heart, Sacred Heart. And, Splashing um, with holy water. with holy water. And you can, <laughs> you know, you can give them the one, two. Um, and so anyways, I'm grateful for these questions. If you have one, feel free to send it to us at podcast at Catholic gentlemen.com we'd love to answer it if you record it uh and send us the audio we'll actually play that live here on air so another part of the episode that i always enjoy uh is putting on the new man right we are called to be new men we're called to be men and be saints and so we have to have these practical guides these practical steps and reminders and so we encourage you to take these to heart and to actually practice them this week um come back next week for a new one and our next episode but devin if you wouldn't uh, mind taking away the putting on the new man for this week yeah sure this is more of a situational challenge than it is like a proactive challenge so pray yeah. your rosary or go to mass you know that it's different than that. So this upcoming, you know, we have some upcoming feasts, Christmas. I mean, then we have the secular new year and we're going to have some situations that will arise where we become uncomfortable with the people that we're with, you know, uh, moments that are uninvited. In fact, with relatives, friends, enemies, or friends and relatives who are enemies, you know, <laughs> exactly. you know enemies, but, fit it all. Um, Oh. Yeah. So, but taking a cue from St. Therese, um, when becoming impatient or frustrated or angered by one of the people mentioned, friends, enemies, relatives, whatever, she says, and I love this, thank God for the person who is making you suffer. And then ask God to bless or reward that person for making you suffer. Mm -hmm. So just thank God for them. Ask God to reward them for making you suffer in every time. And the reason is, it's so beautiful. The understanding behind this is that person is actually placed by God's divine providence to help to sanctify you. Now, I'm no good at this. I, I'm just, I'm trying this myself. Yeah. So, and in fact, this whole episode, I'm, I'm listening to Sam and you, John, and I'm like, okay, I got a lot of work to do. But yeah. so pray this prayer, Lord, bless the person who's making me suffer, reward them for making me suffer. Lord, bless the person who's making me suffer and reward the person who's making me suffer. Because the deeper understanding here is that they are helping to sanctify us, if not save us from hell. Yeah. Amen. I love it. I think that's so great. It reminds me of uniformity with God's will in St. Alphonsus, where he talks about all of God's permissive will and all of these things coming to us. Um, and they can either be, we have one of two decisions to make, right? We can either embrace them and, and the opportunity that they present to us, or we can turn inward selfishly and flee from them. And so these are opportunities that are presented to us. And, you know, he goes even as far as like the weather, right? Maybe it's been, you know, below freezing and you're not a person who likes below freezing and it's been below freezing for you know, 32 days or something like that. Just some random number. Oh, but uh, yeah, exactly. That <laughs> that you need to learn to give thanks to God for his weather, which he has chosen and uh, for your sanctification. And so I think that's beautiful and wonderful. So, well, as we end each of our episodes. Be a man, be a saint.